random encounter at a broadcasting facility. A shared interest and love of all things Marvel. Excelsior! A misinterpreted program title. And behold, a podcast is born. Peter Melnick. Podcaster and comic book enthusiast. And Eddie Wilson! Upstate New York radio announcer, still with an inordinate amount of catching up to do. Peter! What are you doing? Here we go with a new episode of The Marvelists. Hi, this is Colin Kelly and Jackson Lance, and you're listening to The Marvelists with Peter Melnick and Eddie Wilson. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. And joining us on the other end of the Zoom and string, we are joined with the creative team behind the upcoming Guardians of the Galaxy comic book series from the House of Ideas Marvel Comics. Gentlemen, introduce yourselves. And also, by the way, good evening. Good evening, uh, or good afternoon here from sunny Los Angeles. Uh, I am Jackson Lanzen. Uh, and I'm Colin Kelly. Um, we're the writing duo behind uh, this wonderful trip to space. So now, first off, the usual kind of question. How did this idea come about with working on everyone's favorite Guardians of the Galaxy? I don't so want to say it like uh, that. <laughs> uh, it was, I mean, as with a lot of things with Colin and I, uh, it started with a... Uh, just a chat. Um, Colin and I have been writing together as a, uh, a partnership for, we call ourselves the high mind uh, for, you know, well on 15 years now. Like we, we've, we've been doing this uh, dance for a long time. And what we've learned is that a lot of our best ideas and a lot of the most interesting stuff um, really needs to come from finding a place of mutual excitement and a place of mutual um potential uh, where I know that uh, I've really got something that I want to say and he really knows that he's got something he wants to say and that those things are, are dialed into the same space because unlike most solo writers because we pretty much always write together our process is like connected at the brain so we really have to find a place for us both to be psyched um, yeah so what happened with Guardians was they opened up that conversation uh, and um, and obviously our editor on the project is Darren Shan who's amazing um, so he was kind of the third the, the, the third part of our, the backboards to our uh, basketball shooting. There you go. That's a good metaphor. I'm, I'm, it definitely is a metaphor we understand and are good at. But speaking of shooting, I think the idea that we all kind of landed on, uh, the magical words were Space Western, uh, which kind of sent a little thrill through all of our, um, our backs because we knew that we wanted to strip down the team. We wanted to really focus on kind of the core characters and explore um, who they really were um, after Al's amazing run where he brought everyone together. Um, but a space Western, that really thrilled us. Of course, we then realized that space Western is a vibe. It's not actually a, um, it's not actually a storytelling space because Western can mean absolutely so many things from Blazing Saddles to, um, you know, Last of the Mohicans. To Unforgiven, to, uh, you know, Freezeta Yuma, to The Searchers. I mean, Westerns are a period and an aesthetic and is calling for a vibe. Uh, and so while... We started on this initially by talking about what this book might look like if we, you know, how we center around character, who's going to be our leads, how we're really going to make sure that the character arcs are landing and that we, we feel like there's a, a, a great and powerful story territory to go into with them. <clears throat> it wasn't until a couple of months into breaking the project 
that we started putting everybody in cowboy hats. And it was really only once we did that that we felt like the whole thing was starting to come together properly because suddenly we had a story about five survivors in crisis, people who'd all been through the ringer, um, both emotionally and culturally and physically and economically. I mean, they just, their whole life, um, these five people uh, has been shattered uh, by these events that will be essaying out throughout the story. And now they're a roving band of wanderers just trying to stay one step ahead of the tragedy that they know is coming for them. And that really, that's a Western. That's a Western vibe, that's a Western feel. And so once we started to sort of pull all of that together alongside the character exploration we've been doing, uh, we suddenly had something that felt like we weren't just putting the guardians into Western spaces for the hell of it, um, or so we could say the magic word space Western. It was so that we could actually highlight and emphasize what we wanted these characters to be. And, um, and that's how it came about. The tragedy that they know is coming to them? Wait a minute, I'm lost on that. Yeah, it's because we can't tell you exactly what's happening in the book yet, as there are spoilers. But um, suffice to say, anybody who read Al Ewing's run uh, on Guardians uh, knows that the last image that we saw of the Guardians of the Galaxy was of like 30 some odd guardians, every person who's really ever been a member of the team, all hanging out at a big bar in their matching uniforms, smiling and happy and having come to some kind of peace. The epitome of the Avengers of the Galaxy, which is a great kind of theme and exploration that uh, I was working through. But absolutely not a status quo, because once you hit that point, there's really only one place to go, and that's down. And so we wanted to start these guardians in a space where that had been destroyed, where that um, had, uh, you know, really used the potential of that, the, the height of that moment to emphasize how terrible and, and kind of dire things can be. Um, and so they start our story about a year later in the only ship left from uh, the proscenium uh, with just these five. Uh, so Star-Lord, uh, Gamora, Nebula, Drax, and Mantis. No rocket, no group, uh, heading out uh, on their own to uh, evacuate a, uh, a small colony on a, a small frontier world out in this new territory of space that we call the Manifold Territories, or the Fold for short. But what we're going to discover is that there is something that destroyed the Guardians. Uh, there is something that has uh, continued to uh, haunt their lives for the past year. And... Uh, something that they all feel some amount of responsibility for. Um, and without going into too much detail in terms of what that is, we have uh, uh, already been well beat by the wonderful marketing folks at, uh, at Marvel uh, to the name, which is Grootfall. I was going to say, because I saw the, uh, the solicitation for it over on Amazon. And first off, I love the cover that you guys ended up getting for that. Just, you know, it's got a very 1960s, 1970s, almost like a spaghetti Western kind of vibe to it. And I also love seeing good old star prince with a cowboy hat on. It, it's, it's, it's silly. I mean, there's a certain, like, we re look, once we realized this was where the story wanted to go, like the aesthetics of it kind of naturally wanted to follow. The, the internal conversation really was the poncho. Uh, but we realized that, look, if he's gonna if he's gonna really embody this character at this point of his life, I mean, the man needs a poncho. 
And I mean, in all honesty, with the character of Star-Lord, you know, through all the different interpretations, you know, ever since the uh, influence with the uh, James Gunn version on film with Chris Pratt, I like seeing that element of he's looking back on things of his childhood and they lead to an inspiration. And I kind of like seeing that there is that element of, you know, the the cowboy, you know, looking back fondly at that and that influences who he is, kind of like how, you know, you see in the movie, he's got the influence of uh, Kurt Russell, who ironically becomes his dad, you know, with like things like Big Trouble in Little China and Escape from uh, New York and L.A. But, um, you know, just that cool little, you know, influence, you know. And you've actually keyed on a really interesting little uh, kind of separation between what the movies do, which we all love, and what we're going to be doing in this book. Because when Chris Pratt looks back on his life and the things that have shaped him, he's thinking of Roadhouse, right? He's thinking of all these kind of pop culture, larger than life stories that really kind of gloss over some of the more dire situations of what the real world is. Peter Quill, the Star-Lord, as we know him, as they point out in his very, you know, in his early appearances, he's the veteran of a thousand wars, right? Like this guy has been through shit even before we meet him, right? Like he has so much long-standing guilt and pain. He has so much trauma that we tend to kind of gloss over because, hey, it's Chris Pratt. But that is not Star-Lord. Star yeah, Star-Lord has a much more complicated history, not just with himself and his past and with Spartax and all the stuff that is very unique to the, the, the Marvel Universe and not necessarily the MCU. But he also has this... Um, he also does have this like squishy, gooey center that the Chris Pratt character also has, which is that he has these um, these fondnesses for little earth things, for things that remind him of his childhood, for things that give him that little, um, uh, uh, where he gets a little bit of the man he wouldn't he would have been if he hadn't been off on this adventure for his whole life, and so. Uh, Heading into this, we wanted to make it clear that the hat wasn't like an affectation. It wasn't like he was going into his cowboy period, so Peter Quill was like, let's be cowboys. Right. I, it, it's, it's, it's much, which I think is more the sort of like the way we might have seen that go down with the Pratt character. With this Star-Lord, we wanted to say, okay, this is a character who's gone very, very hard into his superheroing time. Um, certainly with an Al's run, he also took up the, uh, the mantle of the Master of the Sun. You know, like he really took up this whole like super heroic uh, vibe uh, for a while. And this is very much him stepping back from that and being like, I'm not a superhero, I'm just a guy. And what does being just a wandering guy mean to Peter? Well, he puts on a cowboy hat. Like that's not because he is having fun being a cowboy, it's because it feels like he is going through a period of his life that is lonely and that is removed and that, that mask and that hat and that poncho um, and his rusted old element gun, those are his, those are the closest thing he has to a safety blanket anymore. Um, especially because the guardians themselves, because everybody is going through some iteration of like too much power and too much trauma leads to crisis. Um, we're really trying to look at each of them as, as not really having a safe space in the others anymore and what it means for them to have to rebuild that family have to rebuild that trust, have to look at um, the people around you and let them back in after hardening yourself once again. Um, so it's a, we're, we're sort of starting the Guardians very much at a, at a new ground zero, inspired by and uh, influenced by where it's gone before. But uh, 
but hopefully something that new fans or people who just love the book, or I'm sorry, who just love the movie, can just stop in and and discover these characters anew for the first time because they are in many ways discovering themselves for the first time. What I always like about the Guardians of the Galaxy in the comics is it feels like the the stories are much more different, if that's grammatically correct, than they were previously. You know, like I love seeing how this version sounds. Like I know that you guys are not going to be doing a quote unquote retread of the things that we saw in Annihilation, but you're also not going to be doing things that were in the previous, you know, film iterations, as well as the uh, Jerry Dugan and Aaron Cooter run, as well as, you know, you guys are doing your own thing. And I like seeing that. And I feel like Guardians, you can go off and do so much different stuff and not have to rely on one static thing from the past, kind of like how with X-Men, you're always going to be looking back and being like, well, there's Papa Claremont back there. There's also, you know, all these other people that, you know, kind of base their stuff off of that. You guys are doing your own thing. And each thing with the Guardian since has been celebrated in his own in its own right. And I love that. Yes. I think one of the great things about the Guardians is a general rule is that as a canvas, they are uh, nearly infinite. Not only because there's so many different characters and you can kind of mix and match and find your tone, but also because there isn't, unlike the Avengers or Iron Man or Captain America or any of the sort of like mainstays, even even X-Men, there's just less history. Um, The Guardians of the Galaxy are not a book that has been being published for, you know, 40 years. Like, they're a a book that really started... uh, out of annihilation. I mean, obviously you have the Guardians 3000 before that, and you have, you have some, some some smaller Guardians runs before, but the Guardians, we understand them, yeah, yeah. really come out of annihilation and then have been a space for writers to indulge what they love. You know, Bendis made it a place to farm a bunch of really interesting new characters. Jerry found a way to take what was, I think, really lovely at the heart of Gun's run and fold it into the comics. Um, in a really like artistic and exciting way. Uh, and there's parts of, of his run that we're answering directly, um, you know, as I think people will probably be, uh, will, will, will see uh, as he also did some very dangerous stuff with Groot. Um, but then at the same time, you look at Al's run, Al's run is, a, is, is entirely an indulgence of the things that Al loves. And I, uh, honestly, if, if we weren't writing our version, I would have wanted to write Al's run. Man, I love that thing so much. It's a great run. It's so um, fun. Yeah. And it, it's so fun and so big and, and so crazy and so specific to, to what the characters wanted to be in that super heroic entity. Um, but I think Donnie Don, Don Cates brought in his specific sort of version of that kind of uh, like dour and angry period with the Guardians where everything took a little bit more of that like post Thanos venom shape and I think each time that somebody comes on to Guardians it's a chance to do something special and unique and specific and we try to look at that in everything we do. Yeah I was gonna say that's kind of our mentality going into everything. Sometimes I wish we were more willing to play the hits just because man that um, that sounds like it may maybe easier sometimes um but if you're not telling original new stories if you're not making your personal stamp on this characters then what's the point of you coming in and doing it at all you know you have to be able to say something otherwise you know it's just a remix 
I feel like yeah. the one character that, you know, doesn't get that, you know, in a non-Guardians way, you know, is Captain America. Because Captain America, for the most part, has his own unique original things, whereas a lot of other characters, they look back and, yeah, play the hits kind of, you know, element. Like, you look at Spider-Man, we have Clone Saga, we have Clone Saga, we have, you know, oh, so many other things that are just, you know, a remaster of the previous stuff. and. With Guardians, again, once again, I like that. I like that there's something unique and new to it. Yeah. Well, I mean, Captain America, obviously, is where we're coming from. Uh, Sentinel of Liberty has been our bread and butter for the past couple of years. And as we have been building that run, a big question mark for us is that how do you step onto a book as storied as Cap and actually try to tell um, something original and something that uh, uh, makes somebody... Uh, think about what they've read before and something that answers all the way back to Kirby, but also answers as, as recently as Tomasi Coates or uh, Ed Brubaker or the runs that, you know, Rick Remender, like the runs that got us into the character um, as, as younger men. And like, I think what we've discovered that's really fun about Steve is that the character kind of determines the tone. Like Steve keeps a Captain America book feeling like Captain America kind of no matter what you do because he's Steve Rogers. And, and the if, character is just so strong and so immutable. And if you're, if you vary, if you stray from that core of Steve Rogers, it all starts to feel false. Yeah, yeah. It, it becomes very easy for a book to start feeling like something's gone terribly wrong um, because Steve is so specific. That isn't really true with the Guardians. It's not to say the Star Lord isn't specific, but he's way less specific than Steve. He's much more flawed and much more able to be like, thrown in different directions. You, you can much more easily see a version where Star-Lord is indulging a worse part of himself and as a result is coming off in a different way. Um, and certainly that's been true historically of Gamora and Nebula, two characters with very varying uh, sort of characterization. Um, and, uh, and obviously Mantis, who's been defined by a fundamental lack of consistent characterization, um, so much so that they've made it part of her entire vibe, like it's part of her canon uh, that she doesn't have terribly consistent uh, uh, characterization. And again, Drax, a character who has, who is as much the Hulk as somebody wants him to be at any time, or as much a soulful jazz musician as someone wants him to be at that time, but is not a character who's, who's characterized by a, um, by a very like straight line of characterization. And so I think the Guardians offer you this really interesting chance because they're all interesting, weird, minor key characters to come in and try to actually play, you know, they're, they're, they're interesting instruments. You've got to find a way to play them new, you know? You know, with seeing Peter show me an image of Star-Lord with the hat and, and of course with the poncho, and I immediately got the outlaw Josie Wales vibe from Ooh, that. I like that. <laughs> Which which can be you know I, I think that's not a problem to to go that way and that's terrific a different version telling of this gang of uh, this band of characters misfits I think I found and on a, a very much on a side note with the whole thing about Captain America and not straying but if you wanted to stray something just popped into my head well how about you develop a an alternate Captain America where you have one as Captain America North and Captain America South and then you have a continental civil war. You know, oh. that sounds really not fraught at all and a very chill thing that no one would have problems with. <laughs> I think if you wanted to wanted to make the job about as hard on yourself as you could possibly make it, I think that's the decision you'd make. <laughs> but but tell you what, though, going back to the whole um 
the, the whole tragedy thing, I think, I don't know if anybody else saw this coming, but you mentioned earlier about 30 guardians in the bar, all in the same uniform. I think the tragedy right here is who's paying the tab one washer and one dryer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the proscenium really had a, had its work cut out for it. Uh, what I'm, what I'm hearing is you want a lower decks style story of the proscenium that is just an upstairs downstairs dealing with the laundry staff. Who's cooking for these people? Oh, it's so complicated. Uh, everybody, there, there's some there's some poor young uh, like kid from Hala whose whole job is just making sure that Rocket's uh, litter box is clean. <laughs> I mean, it's just. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not a litter box. It's a very fancy sand toilet. <laughs> it's my pooping sand. <laughs> See, I was going to go with it'd be terrible if uh, multiple man was a member of the Guardians because then we have even more suits. Yes, just constant suits. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think that's the... This show is brought to you by our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash themarvelists. And on the $3 tier, you'll get access to episodes early and ad-free. The $5 tier gets you our two bonus shows. One, Fantastic Voyage, where we dissect and just talk about the 102 issues, one by one, although if it's a storyline more than one at a time, of Stan Lee and Jack Kirby's amazing, incredible, spectacular, invincible, and fantastic run of the Fantastic Four, the world's greatest comic magazine. And... Two, you haven't read that? A show dedicated to the comic books that I haven't read yet. Some Marvel, some DC, all fun. And on the $8 tier, pick a topic of your choosing, not a topping of your choice. Or perhaps you can be a guest on The Marvelists. Above all else, we thank you for your continued support. So many characters have been part of this uh, organization by this point, and... Stripping it back to just your 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 like core guardians and really trying to even you know they've done such a wonderful job and Al did such a wonderful job of integrating um, Nova and reintegrating Moon Dragon and Philovel and these are all characters who are great and have a lot of, uh, of uh, have a lot of territory and I think are are very interesting to play with but ultimately as we started to look at what we were doing we kind of felt like look, we only got one laundry machine. Like, we can only ah! actually do, we only actually do so much um, if we're going to try to give each of these characters an arc and each of these characters a reason to be there. And what we want you to, as we do with all of our books, we want the audience to be able to come in at the end and feel like they, something has changed. You know, that something has, these characters, you're never going to write the last Guardians of the Galaxy story, but you might get lucky enough to write a... Uh, like a fundamentally, uh, oh, I guess what we call it, a seminal is the wrong word. I, you might be able to write a story that matters, right? You might be able to write a story that when you come back to it 20 years from now, people can look at it and say, that's the moment where that character changed. That's mm. the moment where that character was able to put down this burden or um, realize this trauma. Or, uh, you know, not as simple as like, oh, that's the one where they defeated that villain again. It's like, no, that's the one where they took a step forward in their personal growth. And we try to look at all of our characters and say, where, you know, where can we uh, hopefully be additive uh, in giving them that growth? And I think when you have 30 characters, the idea of giving anybody that growth feels impossible. And we're, the, we're also the writers over uh, on Star Trek uh, for IDW, one of the honored competitions. 
Uh, and we know for a fact how complex it can be when you're trying to write an entire crew uh, a giant robust crew of officers who all prefer and desire screen time. Um, so by pairing back, we definitely knew the limits of, you know, effectively this is the perfect amount of characters to get amongst enough emotional element, uh, emotional juice, 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 juice. Get that emotional juice. Uh, get that emotional juice out of every issue that we. Well, you mentioned real quick with Star Trek working on, you know, titles involving that. That has a canon where it is absolutely something where the diehardest of diehard fans, they know every minute detail. They know just so much. And with Guardians, do you feel like it's a little bit, you know, okay, we don't have to worry too much about the uh, the quote-unquote canon that we have to deal with? So kind of. Uh, certainly the... From the, from the Star Trek perspective, you have a lot of like tech canon. Here's what this particular object does. Here's how this particular computer system works. Here's the here's, very regimented, like here's what happened in this year, in this quadrant. Right. Uh, that stuff feels much more free when you're playing um, it with the Guardians. Truly, that's that's just true of the Marvel Universe in general. Um, it's a big, weird sci-fi universe where big, weird gadgets and, and devices and goo can come out of nowhere and totally change your story. So I, I think that in general, um, that's true. There's a fun aspect to the canon of the Guardians, which is because characters tend, or writers tend to come in and really play their own song with the Guardians. It means that they tend to like, not have to answer one another a lot. Like there's not a lot of like yeah. threads dangling from Al's run that really make us go like, we gotta play with that. With the exception of the, obviously like the setup, which we've established in, and then the, um, the idea of Peter as master of the sun. Uh, this sort of like cosmic superhero uh, uh, persona that he took on um, over the course of his uh, his time in that run. Like that's a pretty distinct change about Peter. And that's something you don't want to ignore. Like you have to address it, but we have to find a way to address it that makes sense to us. And it makes sense within our vibe. It doesn't turn our book into a superhero book, you know, like at the drop of a hat. Um, so that's been, I think that that's probably the only place where it's been like, we really got to be, watchful of the canon. Uh, and then Groot, um, which we can't talk too much about, but which is everything that we're doing with Groot and with Grootfall is influenced by, inspired by, and sort of done hand in hand with what uh, Dan Abnett has been setting up in his uh, various Groot origin stories, including the one that's coming up uh, from Marvel uh, simultaneous to our run. Uh, like we are talking about two different sides of Groot's life and, and, um, and so people who read that, I think will actually see that that canon is folded in, that it's all part of the plan, that that's all built in. Um, and we have no, uh, we have, that being said, we have no intention of retconning anything as far as we are concerned. Yeah. Everything that has happened has happened. Exactly. Um, we are very specifically, we are playing in a new section of space uh, where there's not a lot of history going backwards. We are pushing the Guardians forwards, uh, even though they are looking back at the tragedy. So We've done ourselves a favor by kind of siloing ourselves away from where a lot of that continuity lives. Uh, but we do exist within that continuity, within that space. And while we are focusing, the start of our story is really gonna be focusing on these guys. The uh, back end, the further along as we start to move into more of the story, we'll start to look more towards the horizon. 
I was going to say, maybe you guys could retcon in regards to Groot, changing it from I am Groot to I'm Groot, you know, just, you know, it saves a little bit of time with, you know, the uh, removal of the one word. That's great. We do, we do get charged per character. So, I mean, Marvel could save, you know, 10, 20,000 easy by just cutting that apostrophe. The lettering just, you know, immediately it's, it's super fast too. If if there's one thing that everyone knows, it's that lettering is the most expensive part of making comics. (laughs) (laughs) So thanks. Thanks for that. Well, in terms of the writing, I'm assuming that you're both pretty much on par at the same level uh, as each other. And then I was going to ask also, and how far ahead are you in, in this story? How many issues in, let's say? So we have turned in issue four. We are in the middle of working on issue five right now. Yep. Um, and uh, that's going to be getting close to the end of our first arc. Um, but we're going to be on it for uh, some time to come after that. So uh, we're, we're, we're knee deep in it now. Uh, Kev Walker, who is our just absolutely insane. Yeah, I, artist, can't, I just, can't believe we have not talked about Kev Walker yet. And like, he's like the whole reason this book is what it is. He, he's, he's really creating um, such an incredible vibe and such an incredible world uh, with this book. We're, we're very honored. We're really excited to see him. Uh, and he's the, one who, he's the one who slapped that hat on, on Peter. We did not ask for the hat. He was just like, I'm pretty sure Peter has a hat now. And we're like, you know what, my, my friend, you cannot be wrong. This is 100% correct. Uh, when Kev Walker has a strong opinion about something, um, he's generally right uh, and will vehemently defend that opinion, which is frankly amazing in a artistic collaborator. Um, we are men of very strong opinions who can be quite, uh, let's say aggressive at each other when are those opinions need to be spoken. Uh, part of the best friend the best friend magic. Um, so having Ken join in on that and really be able to have a desire to get into the trenches with us and do all the fiddly bits has been absolutely awesome. Uh, I don't think anyone has seen issue one and not have their first comment be hot damn Kev Walker. Yo. Yeah. yeah. Can't wait for people to see what he's doing. Um, issue three is a just masterclass. I, I can't wait for people to see what he's doing. And when it comes to the overall cosmic tapestry of Marvel, there's oh so much that, you know, you can't not look at, if I can word that properly, you look at it and you're just astounded by what the, you know, the predecessors have done. And are there any particular, you know, favorites of yours as well as deep cuts that, you know, the audience should check out? So we are, the nice thing is, uh, really, people don't need to worry too much about deep cuts when it comes to Guardians. Uh, it, people will, will will be onboarding you um, on anything that we bring in uh, because pretty much everything we're bringing in into the Manifold territories is new. Uh, that said, if you're a big Marvel cosmic person and you want to read some of the stuff that we deeply love, right? Uh, I always go back, I'll make my recos and call them kind of like his. Um, I go back often to uh, Jim Starlin's work uh, specifically Thanos Quest. I just think um, the bravery and weirdness and psychedelia of that period of work um, and how much it created a, a, a sort of specific sense of what Marvel Cosmic could be maintains in my mind as like the gold standard. Um, I, I, I love the idea of stepping into Marvel Cosmic and really going absolutely buck wild um, on the acid trip aspect. Uh, I just think they, they uh, there's been some really lovely work done um, to make 
it not feel like Star Trek or Star Wars, but to feel like uh, the like a mural on the side of your your crazy cousin's van. <laughs> um, and I, I think the more that Marvel Cosmic gets to live like that, in a lot of ways, the, the better off it, it is, which isn't what we're doing, right? We're doing the Western version of that. But I think you'll see some of that same sense of um, wanting to be introspective about character, but extremely weird in terms of world build and visuals and the sort of rules of the road um, and, and how enlightenment can uh, can come to people in dark places. So um, big, big love for Jim Starlin whenever we touch uh, Marvel Cosmic. I think it, uh, that's a, a big one for me. And then um, anything with Death's Head. I love Death's Head. <laughs> Death's Head isn't in our book yet, but I'm telling you the minute that I can put Death's Head in this book, I'm gonna put Death's Head in this book. I just love Death's Head. No, are you are you Death's Head one or Death's Head two person? Uh, I'm a Death's Head two person, but that's just because I was that's how I was introed on Death's Head two. I like them both. <laughs> um, I'm so much more basic. I'm gonna get direct with you guys. People want to get ready for the run. Honestly, what they just really should just read is um, the Annihilation Star uh, Guardians of the Galaxy miniseries that came out of Annihilation. Um, mm. It's gonna be the absolute primer. It gives everyone the sense of warrior fatigue even then in this crew you'll get all the dynamics of who they were knowing that a lot of drama a lot of pain a lot of tragedy then brought them to where they are now but in terms of an arc in terms of seeing where they started to where they end which is where we begin i think that's going to be the real magic trick to get people on board um that being said if we want to go expand beyond the comics what I would recommend people do if they want to get the vibe is go watch Unforgiven. Go watch Unforgiven um, because that is very much our touchstone for this series if you want to start getting into our heads. Uh, and another big inspiration for us uh, was the Tyler Sheridan show 1883, uh, which is weirdly enough a prequel to Yellowstone. You don't need to watch Yellowstone. 1883 is its own thing that perfectly captures the, the tragedy and the pain and the hope in what the Western frontier can really be. Um, I am absolutely besotted by that show and it inspired a lot of this uh, as we kind of started to dive into the emotional details. So I'm going to put it aside here and say, you absolutely should watch Yellowstone just because it's got big Kev, Kevin Costner, but that's there just- you me. Such a legend, so powerful. There you go. My uh, uncle used to, uh, he used to uh, coach soccer, no, coach Little League down in my uncle's uh, Little League park. And uh, apparently Kevin Costner is like the best Little League coach uh, and is apparently just a really great dude. Why does that just absolutely make sense? Does not, of course, does not shock me. Not surprised even a little bit. Yep. I mean, field of dreams, you know. If you build it, they will come. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I'd show up for his game. I love it. So now in regards also to a lot of the characters, like each of them have their own unique uh, interpretation. Like I love Gamora, you know, the Guardians of the Galaxy Square Enix game version, you know, more than I do the uh, comic version or the uh, the uh, film version. Yeah. But what about your version of these characters? You know, what flavor are you going to be bringing into these characters, this interpretation? All right, cool. Let's 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 hot, let's hot potato this. Yeah, let's do this. Uh, we're gonna try and lightning round this. Yeah. Otherwise, we'll keep you here for another hour. Yeah, you want because that's the thing about Colin and I. Uh, we are character first guys. Like everything that we do, we 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 subject it to a test, which is that we strip back all the 
all the cool spaceships and ray guns and aliens and dugas. And we take all that out and we say, could we stage this in a black box theater with just a couple of actors? Can we, can we just, can we imagine what this looks like if you don't have anything else to, to sell the genre? You just gotta do character. And if it works then, then we can put everything else back onto it and say, okay, now this is a story about, you know, Star-Lord and all his friends going on their weird cowboy adventures. But we know that at the core of it, it's a story about a bunch of people who've lost their home trying to find a uh, home again, even as they are surrounded by the people who once made up that home, right? So let's start right where you started. Let's talk about Gamora. Yeah. Um, because Gamora has been through the absolute ringer. Um, she has had such a dark story coming out of um, everything with her family through everything she's gone through but the one consistent in her life has been the guardians of the galaxy has been peter quill in a lot of ways this is the family she never thought she would be able to have and this is that we find her you know we found her so connected and happy so the detonation of that family and what happened between in our year little gap there has absolutely destroyed her um and in fact it has broken her faith in that very concept and without that concept of family, there's nothing for Gamora to be fighting to or fighting for. She becomes self-destructive. She is in an absolute crisis moment where she doesn't have anything to hold on to. So in particular, we're taking Gamora to a dark place um, where she's really suffering from, uh, from substance abuse. Um, we are making her effectively an alcoholic. Um, it's something we both have, sadly have a uh, connection to in our families. We know how damaging it can be. And that's where we wanted to have her kind of start and explore that space. She's functioning. She still kicks all the ass in the universe. Um, but, you know. And, and well, she's having more fun than she normally does because she's a little drunk. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's uh, a healthy scenario for her or one that can, that's like sustainable long term. Um, Nebula, on the flip side, uh, is really concerned um, with her sister, but has absolutely no uh, experience um, or uh, uh, wherewithal in terms of like how one relates to uh, somebody going through something like that, especially because she's much more comfortable with her machine side than her human side these days. Um, at the end of uh, the Vita Yala run uh, that unfortunately got curtailed by COVID, um, at the beginning of that run, Vita had this great moment where Nebula effectively took this computer that was capable of processing the probabilities of any event and put it in her head. Um, so now she had the ability to look at a, a situation and effectively uh, predetermine the outcome of any action she could take so that she could always take the best action. Now she still has that, um, even though things have gone terribly, terribly wrong in her world. And she's now making decisions in large part based on uh, the calculations that are being played out in her head. Um, she's becoming more and more, we, we sort of talk of her as like, she's C-3PO. If C-3PO had a really bad attitude and was totally willing to, you know, kick your ass to get what she wanted. Um, but what she's having to learn in large part is how to relate to her sister who is going through such a crisis um, and who really needs a, uh, another person uh, who understands her. Um, and uh, Nebula doesn't really know how to be that. So Nebula is going through a fun kind of rogue and renegade period as she uh, as she realizes that she might be the most responsible person on the ship, uh, <laughs> but has no idea how to relate to anyone. Uh, with Drax, we are taking him into his Jeremiah Johnson mountain man phase. Um, he has been so many for so many people, but at his heart, at his core, Drax is a jazz man. 
um, you know, back at the very start of his origin, he was a man who fell in love with music, right? And then he became an android and he became a monster and he became a Hulk. He became all these other things that he can't ignore. But at his heart, we like to still think that there's a little bit of music in there. So what we want to do is take him away from the noise and away from the kind of violence and especially to a certain degree away from the kind of uh, 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 humor he's lived in. Like he's very much been a punchline or a, a good goof for a while. And we don't want to tell that story. And I think Drax is done with it too. So what we're trying to do with him is take him past that place of kind of, you know, direct violence to what it means when you maybe don't have to be that direct about things, right? What does his life mean, right? What does anything mean? These are the kind of heavy questions that we want Drax to be working out in, this, in the back of his head. But the great thing about Drax is he ain't telling nobody. Um, he keeps his mouth shut. So ideally what we wanna do with him is create a character where people can realize there's something going on in his head, but he sure as shit is not gonna share it with anybody. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a slow burn of a character for sure. Um, more so I think than any of the rest of our characters, um, but to good reason. We know where we're going with him. We're really excited to get there. Um, and then Mantis uh, is it, Mantis is great because now that everybody's seen and 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 uh, seems to be celebrating everything everywhere all at once all the time, we can just use that as shorthand. Uh, Mantis is uh, the Michelle Yeoh character from uh, she's Evelyn from Everything Everywhere All at Once. She's a mother who has been defined by her motherhood for so long, been defined by being the celestial Madonna, by being an object of power for other people. She's done with that story. She has literally like faced her son in empire she has helped him get taken down what is the next story for mantis well i think mantis needs to figure that out for herself and so what she has started to do in you know out of all of this crisis is she started to access all of those sort of multiversal versions of herself those splintered consciousness that we've seen in um all of the sort of celestial messiah stories over the years let's let her actually start bouncing around those and seeing what it is she wants to be. Um, in the Western trope, right? You know, if, if Drax is our mountain man and uh, Gamora's our uh, sort of uh, half-drunk assassin and Nebula's our uh, smart doc, Mantis is our face. She's our entertainer. She's the person who can roll into the saloon and actually like make friends and uh, keep drinks flowing and get the guardians what they need uh, by talking through the problem, not just fighting. Uh, but in a crisis, uh, Mantis can effectively snap into a completely different version of herself. Uh, and so the character gets to be this kind of weird, inconsistent ping pong ball uh, that lets us find all kinds of different arguments like pinball uh, ball. She's just bouncing all around her personalities and trying to figure out where she belongs, where she fits, where she wants to be. Um, in many ways, she is the character who is in the most crisis because at least everybody else kind of knows who they are. Uh, she doesn't. And though, and though she is having a lot of fun discovering it, uh, there's a lot of danger in that discovery as well. Free fall is incredibly exciting. Yeah. But unless you pull the chute, you do eventually hit the floor. So all of our characters, you can kind of tell from our descriptions, they're all going through a, a pretty primal psychological crisis. Like everyone in Guardians is going through some really tough times because that's what Westerns are. Westerns are the story of people on the very edge of frontier having to be faced with the people they are and the mistakes they've made and the things they regret and the heroes they want to be and how you, from 
little more than the dirt and sky of a you know far off frontier how do you manufacture your destiny like your next um horizon horizon there you go uh and that's really what we're doing so when we describe these characters i think a lot of people always go like man that's really dark it's like yes this is also the funniest book we've ever written this is also in a lot of ways we are very optimistic book we are like very twisted sons of guns (laughs) so we're just starting them from a place of total psychological collapse and then we're going to be rebuilding it all but fun yeah exactly what if unforgiven but next wave A lot of great info, guys. Appreciate you sharing all that with us. And it sure sounds like Stephen Strange has his work cut out for him in the psychological department. Oh, wait, no. Leonard. Yeah. Leonard Sampson. That's who we got to go to. Yes. Yeah. Doc, Doc Sampson would have a field day with this team. Set for life. Honestly, that's a great one shot. Great one and done shot. Yeah. If that happens, you guys know it started here on the market. <laughs> You're welcome. So now before we go, how can people get a hold of you on social media? <laughs> very easily found i'm at jackson lansing on twitter as long as twitter is still a thing that exists uh and i'm uh found in the wild on instagram all one word. Uh, and i'm colin p kelly on twitter uh it's a sinking ship but let's come 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 fiddle with us baby bring your life preserver <laughs> gentlemen yeah, thank- exactly. gentlemen thank you so much for your time today and I'm looking forward to looking up at the skis, I mean skies, as we see what's next for everyone's favorite ragtag group of guardians of the galaxy. Appreciate you. Thank you so much, guys. Cheers. For the Marvelists, I'm Peter Melnick. I'm Jackson Landon. I'm Colin Kelly. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior.